It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with your host, Mark Schlereth. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Bet Rivers Sportsbook and Dude Wipes. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Millennial Ben, producing the show. Oh, man, what a great show we have for you today. I want to thank uh, our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with the winner, Bet Rivers. Bet with Bet Rivers. Uh, download the app, uh, check them out at betrivers.com. Also, my guys at DudeWipes, dudeproducts.com. Uh, make sure you enter the promo code STINK15 for 15% off. Also, Stinking Good Green Chili. Check that out at stinkinggood.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? Doing great. The offseason is here. This is the uh, this is the this is what I like to call the uh, the player procurement stage of the offseason where you're going after free agents where you're going after the draft and now you know one thing cool about the NFL right now is um is really it it all of a sudden the trade market forever the trade market never seemed to really be anything and now all of a sudden it seems to be a legitimate way to to build a franchise I mean let's let's face it this is probably going to be the the strangest procurement player procurement stage of of the offseason that we've ever had simply because of what the Rams were able to do. The Rams just said, "Hey man, pound sand to the draft." You know where everybody looks at the draft and say, "Got to build your team through the draft." That's how you build a championship roster. That's how you maintain, you know, uh, maintain your salary cap. That's how you you all this stuff. If you can get a quarterback in the draft, then you don't have to pay him for X number of years. Blah 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 blah. You know that's that's been the narrative on how to build a team, and everybody just kind of followed suit, which is the NFL. You know, lemmings to the sea. They all do it until somebody says, screw that. We're going to do something different. Les Snead of the Rams said, I don't value draft picks. You see the T-shirt he was wearing during the parade? It said, expletive draft picks. And that's what he did, man. And you see them go after, them build a roster through trades, through you know free agency, through now through the draft because Aaron Donald was a draft pick. So they do have some of those guys. But let's face it, Whitworth and... You know, and and their their most of their offensive line, or at least several of their offensive line, played elsewhere. Um, and then you know you look at you know their their quarterback position, and you know and and Odell Beckham Jr. and and Vaughn Miller, and you know and and Jalen Ramsey. I mean, this is a team that just threw caution to the wind and said, "Forget the draft picks, man. That we're not doing that." Well. You know one thing. The NFL is a copycat league, and whatever is successful is copied, whether it be styles, uh, philosophies, types of defenses, types of offenses, type of quarterbacks, all that stuff. Is this going to be the copycat thing that emerges from the 2021 season? The idea that windows aren't open forever, and you have to go for it. Job security isn't guaranteed forever if you're a coach or a general manager. Don't worry about draft picks that are going to be used on players that may not really, really be stars until three, four years from now. I may not be here as the coach. I may not be here as the GM. Do you think we'll see more teams follow the Rams pattern? Yeah, I, I do. Copycat. I do. I think teams that feel like, hey, man, we, uh, we've we built a pretty decent roster here. And 
if we could go after a quarterback, if we can get a trade for a quarterback, we've got an opportunity with the roster that we've accumulated, you know, the players that we've accumulated, we've got a chance to be really good. We've got a chance to open up a Super Bowl window. And I think, I mean, I think ultimately you got to understand how many of these draft picks that you've gone after, you know, will end up failing. If we can just use the the class of 2018 and the quarterback class of 2018. Remember, there were a bunch of can't-miss propositions. I mean, there were all kinds of them. Five of them. Yeah. How's Baker Mayfield looking in Cleveland right now? I mean, the reports are right now that he and Stevin, uh, Kevin Stefanski don't get along and that they're actually trying to make a play for Aaron Rodgers or for or for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, how about, how, how's, uh, how's Darnold looking, Sam Darnold looking in Carolina? I mean, he was the Jets' future, right? Bam, we kick him to the curb. They go out and get Zach Wilson. And in Carolina, he was, last year was, it was just bad. Are you seeing mock drafts having the Panthers trade up way up to like number three to try draft a quarterback again? Yeah. So, I mean, how, how did that work out? How did Josh Rosen work out? And ultimately, not because of, not because of lack of talent, but the way they have been built to win. Like, what do you think about Lamar Jackson? And last year, the regression was a lot of injuries and a lot of different things going on, but where he had a tough time staying completely healthy. Now, sometimes it was, you know, it was COVID. He had COVID right before the season, and he never really, he lost some weight, didn't really get his strength back, but they haven't paid him. Do you think they're looking at that and going, boy, we don't know how sustainable the run all over the place quarterback is? Do you really want to commit $100 million plus to that style of quarterbacking? Until somebody proves that that style of quarterbacking wins championships, I'll continue to go, I'd rather have the dude that I can trust being in the pocket, the Joe Burrows of the world, you know, the, the guys that, that you know where they're going to eviscerate the defense from. So those are kind of some of the things that – I think people, like you said, the copycat league that is the NFL, I think people will start to look at it and go, eh, you know, there's more than one way to, to kind of build a football team. Okay, so if if we're talking about the copycat things that will emerge from this season, okay, the idea that maybe draft picks aren't as valuable, there's nothing wrong with trades, the idea of the the running quarterback to build around. We just saw another pocket quarterback win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And... That's not a coincidence, folks. Go back and look over the last 20 years at teams that have won Super Bowls, and the overwhelming majority of them are pocket quarterbacks. Some can't move at all. Some have some athleticism and mobility, but what's the thing that they all have? Your 70-30 rule. 70% of the time, you just got to be able to stand back there and just win from the pocket. And Matthew Stafford's another one of those 70-30, 80-20 type guys, Right. right? So... For the Lamar Jacksons, for the Kyler Murrays of the world, what's their future? And for quarterbacks of their ill coming out of college, what's their future? How are teams going to perhaps change their view after what we just saw again this season? Yeah, I think that I think that the Kyler Murray thing is really interesting because Kyler Murray, you know, can beat you from the pocket, but where he makes the majority of his big explosive plays are when things break down and he starts to scramble around. And 
that's when he's really dangerous, when the big plays, the big time over-the-top plays happen. And I think one of the things that you saw early this season when they were the first team to 10 wins, started the season, I believe, 7-0, and um, but one of the things you saw was a more traditional style of offense where they were using multiple personnel groupings. They were using two tight ends. They were using two backs. They were running the ball with efficiency. Um, they were running the ball with consistency. So, you know, it's it's funny. Um, like, go back to the Super Bowl, Mike. You look at the Rams. They averaged 1.9 yards per carry. 1.9 yards. You know how many rushing attempts they got in the Super Bowl? 23. You show me one other coaching staff that will have that putrid a running game and still get 23 attempts. It just doesn't happen. Why? Why did it happen? Because they understand the value of slowing down a pass rush. They also understand the value of the play action. And let's face it, you know, the play action, the play action pass stuff for the Rams, I mean, they made money on the play action game. The first touchdown to Cooper Cup was based off a of play action. And bam, he runs a, a corner route. Cornerback on that side sucks up on the play action, flips it over the top for an easy touchdown. And people are like, well, why are you playing the play action? You're only averaging one yard, you know, a little over one yard per carry. Why? Because we're consistently doing it. And it's hard not to bite. So there's a reason you're successful because you're committed to stopping it. Well, guess what happens? We'll get behind you. We'll find a way to do it. And and so, you know, I mean, on the flip side of that, the, the Bengals were averaging close to five yards a carry, and their top running back got 15 carries. I'm going through the film of the Super Bowl right now, and I can't tell you how many times how, they had several of their big runs were under center in heavy personnel. 13 yards, 14 yards, like these under center runs. Their shotgun run game was garbage. But when they got heavy, when they got in two tight end formation, when they got in solo two tights, when they got in, in uh, you know, 13 personnel, they got in west tight. So they had a they had an extra offensive lineman, a tight end on the right side, and they had a, a the, the F tight end on the left side. And, and so it's, you know, two extra bodies on one side of the line of scrimmage. Man, they they get a, a you know they get a, a a basically a power play a tight end power on that side. They run a little gap run system there. Like they got into these things, and I kept waiting for them. like, well, if they can't stop it, why don't you just keep running it? Why don't you just beat the snot out of them? And then where's your adjunct play action after that? Like I'm I'm just I'm watching the film. I'm going through it right now, going dudes like. You got them, and you didn't stick to it. Why? We're a three-wides team. We're a spread team. We're a, you know, get five out in the pattern team. That's who we are. I know that frustrates you, but can you blame these offensive coaches when they look around and they see who all the jobs are going to? The jobs are going to the offensive masterminds, Mm -hmm. the whiz kids, the next genius to someone who rubs up against Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan in the hallway. Yeah. That's what 
these guys want to get jobs. And then the guys who have the jobs, how do they get the jobs in the first place? By doing that. You have said over and over again this year, you'd be amazed at how many offensive coordinators can't wait for the run game to fail. Right. Just so they can throw up their arms and say, oh, we tried. Oh, we can't do it. Right. You know? So credit to somebody like McVay and the Rams. They And, and the, the Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers are the same. They won't abandon the run game. But right. it's amazing how many – Zach Taylor did. Yeah. I, I'm surprised, like, the amount – and this is where coaching matters. And, and maybe this is where, you know, Sean McVay really learned – from their Super Bowl defeat. Mm. But, you, and maybe it's just the injury situation that you lost, you know, you lost your, well, you lost your starting tight end and you lost your backup tight end in that game. So you're down to your third tight end in Hopkins, right? And then you lost Odell Beckham Jr. And so maybe part of it was, man, we got to continue to run the ball and and pound that play action just so we can get some freedom for guys like Skoranek and guys, you know, and, and guys like Cooper Cup and, and, you know, and Van Jefferson. So I just thought it was, I just thought that part was, you know, was pretty masterful from a coaching standpoint. And I know you go into a game plan, and this is where I think coaches learn. You go into a game plan and you're like, this is how we're going to beat this team. This is the way we're going to do it. You can tell right away how a team feels about another team like a pass rush based upon what they're doing. Like, everything the Bengals ran. Now, they love to get five guys out, five eligibles out. They don't keep backs in very often, Mike. They get automatic. It's not even like in the West Coast offense, you like a check-through route, right? So you check in the B-gap on one side so that your guard has some help, and then you get out. You know, or it's a, a check swing. So you check the B-C-gap, bam, stop, 1,001, okay, it's clean, boom, out the side, you know, on a swing. So you've got all these different little check through things that they that they run. Well, the Bengals just get them out. They're just gone. It's it's what we called scat protection. So it's our five against your five, and um, and to do that, what do you have to do as a quarterback? Well, you're in shotgun. You're taking three of the tiniest little three step drops you've ever seen. I mean, the ball is gone. They had a third down and six, I think, in the second quarter, and they ran a day one combination. It's called. Uh, you know, it's called curl flat. Like, curl. anytime you call a curl, there's always a flat underneath it in the West Coast offense, yep. right? So it's always a two-man kind of route combination. So normally your curl is run at 12. 12 yards, you come back. They're running the curl at eight yards. Like, it, and it's not that the receiver busted the route, right? It's a, that, So when you start talking about distribution, there's not a lot of distribution between the flat and the curl. Right there's only about normally the 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 flat is you're at an angle on the flat now at about about you know three yards moving to six and you let the quarterback adjust you based on the route and so then you've got the curl at twelve yards so you're talking about you're usually releasing at about three so and that guy's coming back on the curl at twelve so you know there's like eight yards but you're you're four yards deep by the time that guy's coming out of his break so there's an eight yard spacing there. So this one is there's a four yard spacing because you're at four and he's at eight, like and that happens to do with not that you screwed that route combination up. It's that's coaching staff going. We can't get to twelve yards against this D line, even in a three step drop. So shorten that damn thing up to eight. 
Like yeah. you, you, you see, go twelve by the time you turn your head, your quarterback's on the ground. Right. Yeah. And so you see the way they adjusted offensively, and all that is is respect for what they have up front with Von Miller and Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and Ashawn Robbins. Like they they had they had the, the Bengals had a ton of respect for those guys. So let, let's bounce around, get some topics here. Um, let's go back to Kyler Murray. How much of this is real? Because, my goodness, uh, this if, if the stuff coming out of Arizona, and I, I suppose it's being leaked by the Cardinals, he's immature, mm-hmm. uh, he's not responsible, he's one of the last guys in, first guys out. Right. Uh, this is the guy who uh, asked out of the fourth quarter of a playoff game. Boy, this would seem to be kind of above and beyond just simply, hey, we're a little frustrated with the guy, or hey, we're playing a little bit of a negotiation game here because we don't necessarily want to pay him. Mm-hmm. You know, we know at some point we will because he's our guy, but maybe we don't want to do it or that much. I don't know, Mark. It sure seems like this is pretty heavy-handed right? to just be, hey, we're trying to light a fire under the guy. Yeah, I think that this is – well, I think one, Mike, I, I – my my gut tells me there's multiple sources, so it sounds like there are some. It sounds like there are some people within the organization, you know, from a management standpoint, that aren't real happy. So that would be my number one kind of. And then it also sounds to me like there's some players that don't really like him. Now, if you go back to Philly a few years ago, when Carson Wentz's relationship with the Philadelphia Eagles started to sour, and then he had the whole 2000, I think it was the 20. Uh, the 2020 season where he was just awful, just awful in the 2020 season. But it started to sour when Carson, after they won the Super Bowl, probably 2018, just leaned on nothing but Zach Ertz, the tight end. Remember Zach Ertz had like 120 catches or whatever? And all of a sudden you started hearing a lot of chirping about, you know, how Carson Wentz is, you know, um, I don't know, like favoritism or not a good dude or he doesn't have the respect. So you knew, your your gut just told you, man, that's receivers that are just dis, like disgruntled because they're not getting their love. They're not getting enough balls thrown their way. And so that part wasn't an organizational besmirching. That felt like a, that felt like a player on player crime. That's what that felt like to me. This feels like a little bit of both. Hmm. Like the the whole immature, last in, first out, you know that that conversation feels to me like players that are a little bit are immature and uh, selfish or whatever, you know, conceited. That sounds like players that aren't real happy mm, with him. We're putting the work in, and he's not type right. Thing. Like like, hey man, that the guy is like acting like a prima donna because as, as a quarterback, you know, here's the things that you have to understand. And I've had conversations with young quarterbacks about this. Uh, I've had a couple just over the years, um, guys that I've had relationships with. um, And I had one in particular ask me to mentor him. And, you know, as a quarterback, and I always said this to young guys, it's not fair, but it is what it is. Like, you're going to get the lion's share of the credit at all times. Because that's what we do. That's what the media does. That's that's the way it works. You've got to deflect 100% of that credit. And you got to throw it to your teammates. Deflect it all. And I go, you're going to get 100% of the blame when things don't go right, even when it's not your fault, even when a receiver runs the wrong route or is three yards short on a route, right? It's going to happen. And you got to own it. You mm. got to just eat it. Mm. And 
you you got to understand that that's part and parcel. That's why you get the big money. That's you know that's part of of what it is. The other thing is honestly, Mike, you got to be the hardest worker when it comes to preparation. You got to be the hardest worker. You really do. And if you're not, um, people are going to look sideways at you. That's the expectation in the NFL, fair or unfair, it doesn't matter. That's what the expectation is. And if you're not doing those things or you're pointing the finger in meetings like, well, that receiver was what, you know, it's not your job. You can't do it. And if you do it, people are going to resent you. You know, you look at Kyler Murray. I mean, that dude is the face of the franchise. That dude's got the big Under Armour. You know, he's got Arizona trucks with his face plastered all over him for body armor. You know, the drink. I mean, he's like, he gets the endorsements. He is the man. He is, you know, the chosen one. And if you don't understand the responsibility that comes with, players will resent you. They'll be mad. So there feels to me like there's some organizational questions there, but it also feels like there's some player-on-player crime. That That's just my – and I don't have any idea, but that would be um, that would be my assessment what? of the situation. <laughs> okay, then. What's easiest to smooth over? The front office's view of you or the teammate's view of you? View of you? What's easier to, to um, fix? Yeah. I I will tell you that, like, a lot of this feels to me like the initial, just kind of some of the initial issues, it, and this, it, and it's always, you know, to a degree, it's always money. It feels like Kyler Murray wants a new deal after three years and after they get to the playoffs. And remember, when they started off, what were they? They were Four and twelve, and then eight and eight. Now you know whatever they're ten and seven or whatever they were, right? So it feels to me like, hey, we've gone through three years now. It's time to renegotiate our deal. And the Cardinals feel it feels to me like the Cardinals are like, well, wait a minute. Now we, you know, we were having this great season, and then all of a sudden, the last we lost uh, five of our last seven games, and you know it doesn't feel like it's it's time to make that commitment yet we're not quite sure we want to take a you know we want to take a a hard pause on the contract mm-hmm. talks and then feelings get hurt um i think it's always easier to smooth over things in a locker room because as long as as long as you kind of admit the error of your ways and the locker room is one of the most forgiving places in the world like, hey, you know what? I'm a moron. Like, uh, yeah, and, and it doesn't even have to be that. You just have to. Sh- you just have to show up. Show yeah. up, do the work. You know, you can have some individual conversations if you, uh, you know, if you irritated somebody within that locker room. But there's a few select guys, you know, that would be like, like, if you take a sack, and the offensive line is getting, you know, ridiculed in the public. Mm -hmm. And you come out as a quarterback and say, we got to be better, then you're a dick. Right. And, and, And I'm telling you, every guy up front will be pissed. Now, if you, if you guys give up a bunch of sacks 
and you come up and say, hey, man, that's on me. I held the ball on, you know, on the majority of those things. I'll take 100. My, my guys up front are busting their ass, and I screwed that up. I held on to the ball for several different times where I was supposed to get rid of it. That's on. Like, now you're going to get respect from your teammates. Well, oh, and you got to be. Well, let me jump in here. Then, okay. Because, and, and you said you told the quarterback you got to take 100% of the blame, but you got to mm-hmm. give out 100% of the credit. Right. And you just said, hey, you you, you, you can't say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. At what point, why, why does the quarterback have to take all the all the smoke? I mean, you guys are you guys are adults. You guys are grown men. You're professionals. You're paid a lot of money. You're adults, right? Why 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 can't you be singled out as well? Why does he? Why does he, the quarterback, but, have to take all but the, see, the you're, heat? You're getting singled out. You're like what what do, what do people say about Cincinnati and their offensive line? Oh, they're terrible. Right? They're horrible. Okay. Okay. So they're Own it. they're taking We're all. Bad. This, oh, they do. They they have to take that. But I will tell you right now, you know that that's a weakness. So why are you why are you in why are you getting five out in the pattern at all times? What because you got three big time wide receivers, so we got to exploit. So to me, what you've done is you've put guys in a position to lose. And you know what? They're doing exactly where you put you. They're doing exactly what you've asked them to do. Lose, right? You mm-hmm. put them in that position, and and so when when I talk about you give up nine sacks to to Tennessee, you give up seven sacks in the Super Bowl. They didn't get a sack till late in the second quarter, very end of the second quarter, and then they wreaked havoc on them. And they the Cincinnati Bengals never. Just, you know what they did? Let me tell you what the Rams did. So, they play a lot of what we call under front, under nickel. So, that means if the center is here, on the strong side where the tight end is, okay? So, let's say the tight end's on the right. Your nose guard plays what we call a one technique, outside shade of the right hand of the center, okay? Your defensive tackle plays a three technique. Or a wide three technique, right? Like a four eye. Three technique is on the outside shade of the left guard or the very inside shade of the left tackle. Okay, that's a three technique or a four eye technique. And your defensive end plays an outside shade of the left tackle, essentially a five technique. Okay, that's an under front. So in that sack, the first sack that they got late in the second quarter, all they did was shifted Aaron Donald out from a three technique to a four eye technique to a five technique. And then they had the defensive end outside of him, which we call, you would think that would be called a seven technique, but it's called a nine technique. Why? I have no idea. It's just the way it's called. So now they had two guys outside of the left tackle. They had Aaron Donald out there and they had, you know, uh, Leonard Floyd out there. Now, first and foremost, to me, it ought to be an illegal formation. Like, that'll give you diarrhea. As a guard, you got to kick all the way out there. I mean, that's impossible. And they got that sack. And guess what? They started lining up in that all, all the time because it, it just created havoc 
with the way they had to take sets. And it created soft sets, and it created pressure, and then they started running games with it, and they had to run way out there, and then they're getting picked by the inside guy on games. And I'm telling you, it was one simple adjustment that the Cincinnati Bengals never adjusted to. And that, to me, is the difference in, in you know, winning winning games and, and losing games. And I know we've been bouncing all around, but it's just fun to do it. Well, so this is this is awesome because, you know, I had like four or five more things that I thought we'd get to that we never did, which is why we do a couple of these podcasts every week. Yeah. And because the NFL's offseason is so much fun, we have time to get into all this stuff, you yeah. know, in detail. But I should have known your tendency to just ramble. Man, because I should have known. Because you watched the Super Bowl just, film. I've been, I've been and digging you, through you're tape. you're addicted to it, man. <laughs> can't help myself. You are addicted to this stuff. Uh, and you can't wait to share what you watch. Right. All right. For everybody involved in the Stink Truth Podcast, for Mike, myself, for Millennium Ben, thank you so much. want to thank our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app. Check them out at BetRivers.com. And my dudes at uh, at Dude Wipes. DudeProducts.com. Um, slash uh, or enter the promo code STINK15 for 15% off. And don't forget, Stinking Good Green Chili, stinkinggood.com for all your green chili needs. For everybody involved, thank you. We'll be back with you next week.